Welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. My name is Elizabeth Weiss, and I am the audiovisual specialist here at Missouri Farm Bureau, and you're about to hear a special episode of our podcast. The 2020 Commodity Conference was held completely virtually over Zoom this year, and you're about to hear a recorded session from the Commodity Conference. If you're interested in watching the full video of the Zoom call of this session or seeing the slides from the presenter, you can find all that information on mofb.org slash events slash commodity. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us. I'm Blake Hurst, President of Missouri Farm Bureau, and uh, welcome to the second session of our virtual uh, commodity conference. Uh, we uh, are, are still learning uh, all the technological tools here at our at our finger trips, and so please uh, bear with us as we go through the conference today. Uh, we have eight separate sessions for the Commodity Conference, of which this is the second. Uh, each stands on its own. As we move from one session this afternoon into the second session, uh, you'll have to disconnect. If you're on Zoom, you'll have to disconnect and then reconnect uh, for the session number three. Uh, people are uh, participating with Zoom, uh, with conference calls, with Facebook Live, uh, and we're recording each session. Uh, so uh, if you, you want to share with your friends and neighbors or would like to go back and pay, if something you missed the first event, they will be online. The recordings will be online and the address is mofb.org forward slash event forward slash commodity. And we'll keep them up there for uh, several days to give people a chance to uh, uh, either join us for the first time or revisit these sessions. If you're watching by Zoom, uh, you can answer a question by uh, pressing on the question add question and answer tab at the bottom of the screen and typing your question. Uh, I will read it to, to the presenter. If you're calling in by telephone, press star nine. Uh, that's the equivalent of holding your hand up, and uh, we will know that you want to ask a question, and we'll get to you in the queue. I'll introduce the speakers and ask for questions after, after they've given their time, and uh, we'll handle as many questions as possible in a lot of time. Our next speaker, many of you know Clarissa Cawthorn from Audrain County. She served Representative Missouri Farm Bureau on the AFBF Energy Issue Committee. And uh, the speaker comes from her recommendation. We're excited about uh, the presentation you're about to hear about emerging carbon markets. So I would like to uh, introduce our speaker. She's the Executive Director, Ecosystem Service Market Consortium, uh, which is a mouthful. And that group is a member-based organization launching a national sale, scale ecosystem services market for agriculture to recognize and reward farmers and ranchers for their environmental services to society. Members represent the spectrum agriculture sec sector of supply chain that are scaling sustainable agriculture outcomes, including so increased soil carbon, reduced net greenhouse gases, and improved water quality and water use conservation. Debbie's role in leading the group builds on decades of experience in agriculture climate change mitigation and sustainability efforts at the national and international level. Please help me welcome Debbie and we look forward to your, your uh, presentation. Thank you, Blake. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm delighted to be able to participate. Um, I will share my screen here. I'm an able. I'm unable to actually share my screen. We're, we're, 
Yep, but try again. Okay, excellent, that worked, thank you. Perfect, now if I go to the top of the presentation, we'll actually be in business. Perfect, thank you so much. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to uh, be here to discuss with you what we're doing at the Ecosystem Service Market Consortium and talk to you about where we are in our um, build out of this national scale market. To start though, we're a nonprofit. We're really mission driven and impact driven. And what we're trying to achieve um, as a nonprofit is impact at scale. So improve um, documentation of the outcomes from agriculture. And where we find ourselves is in a time period when there's increasing um, not only demand for farmers and ranchers to talk about how you're producing food, but also to measure it. So what we're doing is we're actually building a national scale program in which we will do the quantification and uh, endeavor to actually pay farmers and ranchers for those ecological assets that are in high demand by society. As I indicated, um, we're operating at a national scale and our real mission is to improve not just soil health systems that benefit society, but other demand side impacts, whether it's natural resource preservation, water for instance, or uh, water quality impacts, to be able to quantify that so that the demand side that is looking for this from farmers and ranchers can actually have a financial transaction to pay farmers and ranchers for that. Our theory of change is that markets are the best way to provide a signal um, in which we can engage farmers and ranchers in an opportunity to reward them, to recognize them for their services. We started out by um, designing and conceiving markets exclusively for the agricultural sector. Um, we don't work in any other environment. We do include agroforestry, but not forestry and no other sector. And we also designed and conceived the markets to overcome past market challenges. So we took us a significant amount of time to really assess why don't ecosystem service markets uh, currently operate at scale for agriculture? Why aren't there really um, participation um, opportunities, if you will, for the agricultural sector? Why haven't we really seen a market signal? And then we designed our, our markets to overcome that. And again, the basis of this is recognizing and rewarding farmers and ranchers for their impact. So we're farmer facing and farmer based and include farmers and ranchers in our entire build out so that as we build this, we need to ensure it works for farmers and ranchers. We cannot achieve, uh, hope to achieve scale or impact if in fact we can't engage farmers and ranchers at scale. Um, so we spend a lot of time really uh, listening to the voice of farmers and ranchers. How we're different from other markets, we are asked this a lot. There have been a lot of um, past failures um, and inability to scale. I talked about how we're mission and impact oriented and really just trying to create investments in infrastructure and the hub that will allow these markets to function at scale. That is really our role is to create the tools, create the infrastructure, remove the risk, um, and ensure that we can build a market for both suppliers, who are the farmers and ranchers on the ground, and then buyers, those who are actually seeking improved soil carbon sequestration, reduce greenhouse gases, water quality, and water quantity, 
in a way that is voluntary and does not re, uh, rely upon any government mandates or programs. We're innovative as well. I talked about how we spend a lot of time assessing the markets, but we also uh, developed protocols that can create bundled assets, whereas a lot of uh, current markets really look at one practice and one outcome, sometimes even just one greenhouse gas. That is not scalable, it's not sustainable, and it's really not a way to take advantage of the multiple impacts that any changes on the ground um, at the farm scale or the ranch scale actually impact. We know that there's high demand right now for civil carbon, for instance, but we also know that anytime you, it, you change your practices or your systems, you're also impacting other greenhouse gases. You're impacting water quality, water holding capacity of soils, um, and the water use conservation. So our system um, in, enrolls farmers and ranchers in one, uh, just one per enrollment period, if you will, and then we develop the assets for those multiple um, demand side uh, credits, if you will. We also built the system so that it's flexible and that we can add additional credits um, and crediting opportunities over time. There's already a high demand for us to be able to assess biodiversity and changes in biodiversity that we see on the ground um, and create those credits. And that's something we will take up in the future. Uh, a little bit of just a perspective in terms of a timeline. I talked about the market assessment phase we undertook. That really started in 2017. Um, in work we were doing with the Noble Research Institute in Ardmore, Oklahoma. In 2018, we actually spent the year focusing on this market design phase. How do we build a better mousetrap so that it does work for agriculture? We invested in a, um, a demand side analysis of what, what sort of demand exists out there. If we're gonna build a market, we need to know what the demand is, where it's coming from. So we did that. Um, we also looked at supply side. What is the actual potential opportunity that we can gauge in terms of improved soil carbon? Where does that occur across the country? And where are there um, opportunities for water asset generation, if you will? Since 2019, the beginning of 2019, we've been engaged in a soft launch in which we're really just testing the system. We're kicking the tires. Um, we've engaged members, and I'll show you who those members are, to really ensure that as we build this, as we continue to make investments, it works. Um, and we can work out all the bugs, if you will, before we take it into a full market launch, which is um, planned for 2022. In terms of our value to stakeholders, and, and the stakeholders to us are any uh, agricultural um, producer, whether you're a farmer or a rancher, as well as, again, others who are interested in the outcomes of, our organization, uh, conservation NGOs, for instance, but then the demand side. Um, and the, the value we're bringing is a national scale harmonized market in which whether you are a producer or a buyer in the Pacific Northwest or Texas or Georgia, en enrollment engagement actually looks the same. The, the requirements to participate are all the same regardless of where you are and regardless of the production system. We're also creating a program that um, one of our most significant demand side right now is corporations who have taken on commitments to reduce their environmental footprints, much of whom within the food and beverage sector are relying on the agricultural sector, those suppliers or buyers from whom they buy, um, to help them achieve those obligations and commitments. 
our um, approach allows them to actually work with us and the landowners to generate the assets or the recording requirements, if you will, but then to transact it and pay the farmer and rancher for their role in this. I talked about how our innovative design allows us to, to quantify multiple assets. We're testing both the stacking of our credits and then who is interested in purchasing them in our current pilot program. And we're finding in some cases, uh, the buyer is interested in the full stack of credits. And in some instances, we have different buyers, one looking at the carbon assets and one looking at the water assets. And we're able to actually meet those needs. But what we're testing right now is ensuring that we are matching actual supply and demand in this market and as we grow. Um, our, what that all actually leads to is us, ESMC as an organization, really trying to be an agent of change, right? To create that hub where all of the quantification requirements, the verification requirements, the certification requirements occur. So that if you're a farmer, you just participate in our system, we have an intake form, but we take on all the, the risky and expensive parts of the proposition, if you will, um, understanding that there's uh, other risks that farmers and ranchers undertake every day. Um, and, and again, whether you're a corporate um, anywhere in the country, uh, your, what, what you can expect to purchase, you understand, will be credible, will be quantified. You'll know how it's quantified and you'll know how it's verified and certified. Um, so by making these programmatic, programmatic investments, we're taking on uh, what we have seen in current markets as places where um, failure has really um, been brought into the system, if you will. When a farmer needs to find a buyer or when a buyer doesn't know where to go for credits, we're just creating a system where all of those potential opportunities come together so that we're sure as we continue to grow that there is supply, that there is demand. And we know what that supply and demand looks like. In terms of what we did in 2018, um, I spoke about a little bit about this, but we developed a business plan, but we also developed an economic market assessment, and I have a slide to talk about that. We also raised um, significant funding in terms of a grant to help us invest in this build-out in the research and development demonstration and deployment need. So we're investing in tools to drop the cost of soil carbon testing. We're investing in tools to help us actually figure out better ways to do soil carbon testing so that we can actually create these assets. Um, we're also investing in things like satellite imagery and remote sensing to better quantify what's happening on the ground to track and verify what's happening on the ground. And again, remove the burden and reduce the costs at scale. We also engaged in market development by bringing on members of this um, market, both the corporates from the demand side, but the agricultural sector on the supply chain side, so that as we build the market, as we test it and kick the tires, we have those voices at the table, and we're able to ensure that we are meeting those needs as best we can. And then we invested in protocol development, which I've talked a little bit about in terms of the assets or the credits that we can generate. This slide, and I know you can't all see this, but in terms of the market demand side report that we commissioned, what it showed was, and this was done in 2018, there's about a $5.2 billion demand for carbon assets 
and about a $9 billion um, demand or $8 billion demand for the actual water assets. What we've seen is this demand has actually gone up in some cases as high as 75% when you're looking at corporate commitments to reduce their emissions and environmental footprint within, the, within their agricultural supply chain. We've seen that demand go up. We're confident that that demand exists. What we need to continue to ensure that we do is meet that demand by meeting the reporting requirements of those companies. And that's what we're testing right now. In terms of demand, this slide is a little complicated, but what it really speaks to is how we built our protocols. These scopes, if you will, refer to what a company has to assess in terms of its own inventory for greenhouse gas impacts and where and how they can reduce those impacts. And we're meeting those uh, requirements and have specific, specifically set up our system so that we can meet those needs for them. I have a little bubble that says water risk is in development. And what we do know is that companies are increasingly having to report their water risk, which really gets down to water quality impacts as well as water use conservation. And our approach, we have developed ways to, to uh, quantify that and to, uh, to track it over time. We're working right now to ensure that our approach actually meets those developing needs for those companies um, to be able to report on an annual basis. This slide shows two tiers of markets, if you will, that we can meet. So I talked a lot about corporate social responsibility reporting, which is in greenhouse gas markets is known as scope three. So that's a, a company in the food and beverage sector um, needing to reduce their associated emissions um, associated with from whom they purchase agricultural products in their supply chain. That is about 80 to 90% of the demand that we see right now in this market. But we can also, depending on the demand, meet voluntary and compliance grade water quality uh, markets and compliance and, and voluntary grade carbon offset market requirements. Those markets actually have, entail more rigor and are more costly to develop those credits for. There's more burden associated with the data that has to be shared by a farmer or rancher. Um, so when a farmer or rancher engages in our program, we can steer them towards scope one, which is that um, voluntary carbon offset market, or scope three, which is the corporate um, reporting requirement. And uh, our technical enrollment process will help them understand the differences in their participation requirements at that point. The other thing that um, I spoke a little bit to in 2019 is we did receive a, a $10.3 million grant from the Foundation for Food and Ag Research that we are matching with $10.3 million from our members and external grants that we are raising. Um, and through this, this is a 20, it's a three-year, $20.6 million investment. Again, we're really investing in the tools to help make this national scale program cost-effective, make sure it works for all players in the market, and investing in um, not only tools and technologies, but ensuring that as we build out the program, again, it works for all of the players. We're also um, tailoring our program to 
not only major U.S. geographies, so we um, have our protocol divided into 12 geographic regions of the country, um, but ensuring within each of those regions, the protocol is tailored for the major production systems in that region. So for instance, we include both grazing land, grassland, pastureland systems, but also various cropping systems um, within our protocol so that we can uh, enroll farmers and ranchers across the spectrum, but also tailor the program geographically to where you reside and where you um, operate and work. And then finally, through the grant, we're also working on ensuring that our verification approaches and our certification of the assets meets market needs and standards so that the buyers are assured that the, the credits are transparent, they're verified, and they're certified um, so that they are not accused, for instance, of greenwashing. So it ensures credibility of the program, and we're working on that process in real time as well. This speaks a little bit more to um, the FAR grant, the Foundation for Food and Agricultural Research. And um, the other thing the grant has allowed us to do is to build this public-private partnership with members across the consortium so that we're co-investing together. And the members actually with us decide where those investments go um, and where we should put our collective resources in building out the program. And it allows us to actually create this continuous feedback loop. So through our pilots, we're getting feedback from farmers and ranchers as well as the corporates to say, hey, this works or this doesn't work, or can we actually adapt um, the program so that it works better for our needs, whether again, you're the supplier or the buyer. This slide um, I will describe for folks, this shows about more than 60 members of our public-private partnership that are operating with us. And it's really the full spectrum of the agricultural value chain and supply chain. So we have um, integrators like ADM, Bongi, and Cargill, but also major uh, food and beverage corporations like General Mills, Danone, McDonald's, um, and others, but also uh, environmental organizations who, again, are really interested in, in uh, the assets, the impact that we can have at scale. And then agricultural groups like American Soybean Association, uh, the Corn Growers, uh, National Cattlemen's Beef Association, uh, the Farm Bureau, National Farmers Union, etc. So um, the, the beauty of this actual partnership is, again, that we can really share in a pre-competitive environment how best to meet everyone's needs so that we are ensuring that the market is viable and that we overcome some of the past challenges and lack of success and lack of scaling that we've seen um, in these markets. In terms of where we are now in our scaling, I, I spoke a little bit about pilot projects that we're doing. And this is how we're scaling and testing the program so that by the time we um, have created and adapted the protocol for all 12 regions, we will have been able to pilot test in it. Um, and through those pilots, again, we're testing every aspect of this, not only the protocols, but the, the tools and methodologies, the technical assistance that is required to enroll. And then we're testing actual the sale um, of the credits and the assets through the program as well. How we developed our protocols is, again, using USDA land resource regions and then crop management zones. 
so that our ultimate, you know, the quantification approaches that we're using are actually tailored to different soil types, different climates and weathers and regions, um, but also the major production systems. This map, um, for those of you who can't see it, it shows our 12 regions in our protocol. We have completed the protocol build out in the Southern Great Plains, in the Northern and Western Great Plains, the Great Lakes, the Soy and Corn Belt. Um, and that is currently where we're pilot testing. Um, so we have pilot tests in the Southern Great Plains and in the Soy and Corn Belt where we're actually pilot testing our program. Where we are actually building out or, or uh, will be investing in continued build out is the Pacific Northwest, then some specialty crop and rangeland systems in California, and then we'll continue in the, in the other regions. There are blue stars on here that show where we're pilot testing right now, and the green stars show where we have pilot projects in the planning stages that will be announced um, over the coming months. And then the yellow ones are really emerging. That means those are probably uh, 2021 pilot projects that will come on board. The places where you don't see any stars are places where we have in fact not uh, completed the protocol build out, which is a lot of just technological um, calibration and validation, if you will, of the tools. Um, but as soon as we build, complete the protocol adaptation and build up in each of those regions, we will then be pilot testing. This um, slide really just shows some of our funders, not just the um, Foundation for Food and Ag Research, but organizations like United Soybean Board, General Mills, Noble Research Institute, um, and others who have invested in our, um, in our build up to whom we're appreciative. That's really all I had to present today, and I'm happy to um, address any questions that you might have. All right, thank you very much. Um, do we have any questions for Debbie? Interesting presentation. I guess I'll, I'll, uh, I'll start out with one, uh, or maybe a two-part question. One, you know, and I'm going to address this sort of as a corn soybean farmer, uh, as as would be the many of our members that are listening or on the call or on the uh, Zoom Zoom conference call. Um, if you're already using cover crops, if you're already no tilling, uh, can you get credit for those activities, or or, or is it, are they taken as a given, and you begin from there? Yeah. For for the most part, no, right? The existing markets say, if you are engaged in a practice, it's not additional, you can't get paid for it. The way we have established our um, regional boundaries is to say, <laughs> it's interesting, the um, current markets say, um, penetration of any given practice in a region above 5% makes it business as usual. The actual adoption rate we look at is 50%. So we say in a given region, if a practice has not been adopted um, above 50%, we view that as additional. So on a regional basis, we're saying the, the prevalent practice is what we will utilize. And if it's 50% or below, you can engage in the practice, whether you have been participating or not. Um, so if cover crops in your region, Blake, 
in Missouri are below 50% adoption rate, then whether you're, you have adopted cover crops in the past or not, you will be deemed as additional. It's one of the things that does already function in some of these markets, but we're trying to uh, test it at a broad scale and work through what that means. But that will allow us to include some of the innovators and early adopters who have in fact adopted those practices previously so that they can participate in the market. I hope that makes sense. It does. I mean, the, the challenge of course is the incentive. If you don't include people that are doing some of these practices, the, the incentive is to quit doing the practice and then begin again later. It, it, and it's perverse as well. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, right, exactly. Next question is from Platte County. How are you verifying that the soil is growing in carbon? Actual soil tests or just documenting uh, that you're doing, you know, carbon improving practices? It's a good question. So we do require soil carbon testing at enrollment and at the five year period. That's one of the things we're working through right now. So for the scope one markets, which are the voluntary carbon markets, the credits sell for higher, so you can often cover those costs. In the scope three markets, it's, it's harder to cover those costs. So we're looking at variable ways to reduce the soil carbon sequestration testing costs at enrollment and at year five so that it's commensurate with what you will get paid and more in line with it. Um, that's one of the things we're investing in. We're also, again, investing in tools so that hopefully in the future, farmers and ranchers can actually do the soil carbon testing themselves with handheld equipment. Um, to really drop those costs. But we're um, requiring testing at enrollment and at year five and then year 10, but we're modeling. Okay, um, another question. Can you discuss any of the pilot projects uh, in a little bit more detail? And I guess going to the crux of the matter, uh, what are farmers getting paid? Yeah, so um, we're, I can describe some of the pilots in, in detail. So in the Southern Great Plains, we actually have been working with ranchers. We started off with ranchers in, on 50,000 acres. They were enrolled through uh, the Noble Research Institute in a partnership there. That was all uh, grazing land, ranch land, pasture land. But it also included cropping systems for corn, cotton, soy, wheat, and winter, winter wheat and sorghum. Um, but mostly uh, uh, grazing land. In Nebraska, um, actually in Kansas, we have a pilot with General Mills that is on wheat production acres. And in that one, um, General Mills is actually purchasing the carbon credits and the Kansas Department of Health and Environment is, is purchasing the water credits. But that one just kicked off. We haven't generated assets. We are negotiating um, transactions on the Southern Great Plains raising pilot. Um, the, the cost that uh, we're looking at, we're trying to be transparent about it, is cover the quantification costs um, and then pay farmers and ranchers and that those two costs are equal what a, a company will pay. And right now we're, it's looking like it will be anywhere between three and $20 a ton of carbon, which is what the current markets reflect, probably higher than that. Um, we're looking at five to $10 per ton and that will be during the pilot projects. We will be testing that out. When we're actually live after 2022, the markets will actually drive the signal in terms of the cost that will be paid for credits. Um, so we're trying to uh, reflect and parallel what we're seeing in current markets because we're, we're creating these tra transactions ourselves in the pilot projects. 
A question from Jason Green. Are long-term <coughs> contracts involved? Uh, he points out that sometimes forestry carbon programs require a 100-year-long commitment. Yep, that gets the permanence. No, our contracts are for <coughs> 10 years, and uh, farmers and a rancher can engage for up to two 10-year periods. So the, the length of the contract is 10 years. Darren Furbeck wants to know about measuring water quality. How do you do that? We model water quality um, using the APEX tool, which is a tool developed by Texas A&M and uh, USDA. So all of the water assets are actually modeled. Um, what we're trying to do right now is ensure that whatever data we collect for the greenhouse gas collection actually works for the water model as well. Um, so that we're not creating you know, double burden, if you will, in terms of uh, how much data needs to be collected, but it's modeled. Uh, for a farmer, what's the minimum acreage he's going to require to enroll in these programs? We don't have a minimum acreage. Um, we know that, uh, you know, the, the more scale we bring into the program, the more efficient the program becomes um, in terms of the cost to, to uh, you know, run the program, if you will. But right now, we don't have an acreage requirement. And a lot of the pilots are actually bringing in... Um, you know, 50 to 100 to 200 acres, we're, we're seeing some smaller, as well as some, some larger project, you know, the, the ranches in the Southern Great Plains were more like 2,000 acres, as opposed to um, the, the smaller ones in the cropping systems. All right, thank you. Again, if you want to uh, ask a question from your phone, please press star nine, or you can tap it, type it into the question and answer box on the Zoom call. Are there any other questions? Good. All right, a very interesting presentation and we thank you. Uh, oh, wait a minute, we've got a question. Okay, from the phones. All right, it's from the phone. Oh, they went away. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, they went away. I didn't we didn't away. catch them. We didn't get the hook okay, set. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they'll call back then. All right, All right. well, again, Debbie, we appreciate you. Uh, joining us obviously the uh and, and you sort of referenced in your comments but some of these programs uh were unsuccessful several years ago uh and it looks to me like you're uh, approaching it in a very methodical and intelligent way so we're we're looking forward to uh, participating and seeing the results so thank you again for joining us thank you i'm happy to have been able to participate all right two o'clock we do it again uh for our next session and uh, we, will be, um, we will be talking about uh, legal policy with Travis Cushman, uh, who's the senior counsel for AFBF. And we'll also hear some staff updates as well during that session. So see you again at 2 p.m. And thank you for being with us.